At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Built for More, Church Beyond the Weekend, where we will see what the Psalms teaches us about how life is enriched when we live and serve in community with our church family. I'm going to invite you to open it with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, or if you don't have a Bible, uh, maybe you have a phone by you, you want to pull it up that way. Um, But we're going to be in James 1 uh, this morning. And while you're finding James 1, um, I just want to say that uh, I'm glad to be here with you guys. Like Derek said, I am Jacob. I am the campus pastor over at our Farmington Hills campus, and I get the privilege to be to be there. Um, And it's a rare chance that I get on a Sunday morning to venture out to another Woodside campus, usually because I'm kind of busy on Sunday morning. So um, so it's a real treat to be with you guys. And uh, and I just want to tell you that we love you, Um, that uh, we know you're in kind of a season where you're seeking to see who the next man God will bring to help kind of lead and pastor your campus. And uh, our campus is praying for you. Um, We've got your back. Your whole Woodside family is with you in this journey, praying and seeking alongside you guys. So we just want to let you know we love you. We care about you. So uh, with that said, we're going to jump into James. I want to actually read a few verses that we're going to study today and then pray over our time uh, in the Word, and then we'll jump in and unpack what God has for us this morning. So we're in James 1. I'm going to read verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let me pray for us. Father God, we stop for a moment. First, to give you praise for the great God that you are. You are holy and righteous and perfect in all your ways. Thank you for what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. God, thank you for the unity that we share in him. Thank you that even coming here can be among brothers and sisters, part of a spiritual family because of what you have done in Jesus. God, thank you for your church. Thank you for this church. And I pray just your favor and blessing over them this morning. I pray that as they seek for your direction, they seek for you to call the next man that will lead, that you will use this season to strengthen their faith, to deepen their trust in you, to teach them what it looks like to seek your deeper ways and deeper wisdom. So continue to move in this campus by the power of your spirit. And now, God, as we turn to your word, we are grateful for it. We are thankful that you're a God who has revealed yourself through your eternal word, that we get to see you, know you, understand more about you through what you have revealed in your word. And as we come to it today, Lord, we ask that you would open our minds to understand the truth this morning. I pray that you would open our hearts to receive with faith what you have to say to us by your spirit. And I pray you would open our hands that we would be ready to take what we have heard and put it into action in our lives. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you illuminate the word of God to us this morning, to each person in this room? 
And through it all, would you glorify Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Do you desire wisdom? Now think about that for a moment. Don't rush to answer too quickly. Do you desire wisdom? I'm assuming some part of you does. Figure that's why you're at least here this morning a little bit, right? That there's part of you that desires to know and understand and to live wisely. I think in our world, we desire lots of things when it comes to navigating the challenges of life. Some of us, we desire knowledge. We like information. Can I get more info on whatever I am facing in my life? If I just had more info, then I could navigate whatever I'm challenging. Some of us, we desire success. We think if I could just unlock the right combination to advance forward in my career, my pursuits, my gifts, my whatever, then maybe life would make a little bit more sense. Some of us, we desire influence. We we live in a culture that desires influence. If I could get more followers, more people to tune in to what I have to say. What do you desire? Do you desire wisdom? I think wisdom's often a thing that's lost in the midst of the desire for our life. You see, one of our core chief desires that we have as human beings is all of us desire the good life. And what I mean by the good life is we desire a life that is purposeful, that's intentional, that's aligned with who we are and how the world is ultimately meant to be. And oftentimes we find ourselves in our life and world seeking for the good life. How, how do I get to figure out who I am and how I'm supposed to live in this world? Well, that's where wisdom comes in. But part of the challenge of desiring wisdom is that you and I actually live in a world that's starved for wisdom. We're starved for it. Even though we live in the most advanced technological society in the history of the world, even though we have more access to more information more quickly than any generation previously, even though we have more self-help books, more resources, more life coaches, more influencers, more and more and more, it seems like our world is still starved for wisdom. And we're not often even sure where to begin our journey. You see, the thing is to desire wisdom, to seek for it, is first to ask the question, where do I find it? What's the source of what I need for the life that I am ultimately created to live? Part of that problem is our culture here in the West tells us that the ultimate source for wisdom is ourselves. I think one of the chief examples of this is found in the popular phrase that we've used in the subtitle for this series, live your truth. Now that phrase originated from a good place, right? It originally came out of the Me Too movement and it was a call for women who've experienced significant abuse to be able to speak up the truth of what they experience. And that's a good and important thing. But the reality is that phrase then got co-opted by the rest of our society to become a cry, I think in part, to where we are supposed to locate wisdom. 
to live your truth decries the reality that the best way to live is simply to embrace what our true selves are, which is ultimately defined by our internal desires. That the guiding light of wisdom for life is from within. You are the source of your truth. And if you are to be wise, you only need to discover your true self. Now, this sounds really good at first. We like that idea. But I think if we think about it just for a moment, we realize that we are an inadequate source for wisdom for life. I mean, how many of you have reached a point in your life where you've experienced some challenge, some question, some issue of direction, something in a relationship, and you thought, I have no idea what to do here. You're like, somebody help me. Am I the only one? No, we intuitively know that we hit moments in life where our internal resources, our internal guiding light is insufficient for the challenge that we ultimately face. And where do we turn? Looking for something outside of ourselves to navigate, to have wisdom, to help us figure out what the good life is. Well, this morning, the apostle James wants to encourage you to consider a different source for wisdom. James writes a letter to the first century church. He's a pastor in Jerusalem, but because of persecution, his church got scattered into the surrounding regions. And out of his concern and care for them, James writes a letter. These fellow brothers and sisters are experiencing economic and political and religious persecution. They're facing incredible challenges. And James writes a letter to help them know what does it actually mean to live the life that God called us and created us for in the midst of the sort of challenges that they are facing. He begins his letter by encouraging them in the midst of trials. We looked at it last week that we should count it all joy when we face trials. Why? Because trials produce a mature, a complete a whole faith. But he also knows that trials reveal our need for wisdom. Often the most challenging moments of life bring out our greatest need for wisdom. Well, the good thing is, James has good news for you this morning about how you can have wisdom for your life. And if you desire wisdom, he has answers, and help. Look again with me at verse five, as James moves into this issue of wisdom in his letter. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Now notice something here right at the beginning. Notice where James locates his source for wisdom. It's not internal, It's not even something in the created world. What James says is if you face a point in your life where you lack wisdom, where should you turn? Well, you ask God. James stands in the line of the witness of the biblical authors. And if you take your Bible and you read through it, you will see time and time again that the authors in both the Old Testament and New Testament point time and again that the source for wisdom, the place to go to, to find the wisdom we need for life is not within ourselves, but within God himself. Proverbs 9, 
A whole book dedicated to wisdom says this in verse 10 of the ninth chapter, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You see, wisdom, at least according to our Bibles, is not something that starts with you and me. It's something that starts with God. God created and fashioned the world. He created each one of us in our unique nature. And because of that, to find wisdom for life is to go to the source of life. If I was to give you the most simple, what I think is biblical definition of wisdom that I can out of Proverbs, it would be this, that wisdom is the God-given understanding of how to live in God's world, God's way. I'll say that one more time. Wisdom is the God-given understanding of how to live in God's world, God's way. That's the good life. The good life is to live in tune with how you were created to be and in tune with the way God ultimately created the world to be and will redeem it to be one day. And for James, this is key. For James, if we are to navigate the challenges of life, the place we have to begin is to seek God's wisdom. Because mature, complete faith, it seeks God as the source of wisdom. Mature faith does not live your truth. Mature faith lives the truth, God's truth in the world. But the natural question then is, well, then how do I actually access God's truth? How do I gain godly wisdom and seek it in order to actually live it out so I can experience that life that God has created us for? Well, James wants to show you three ways today through this passage of how you can seek godly wisdom. And I wanna unpack these one at a time. You see the first one again in verse five. I'll read it again because it's so key. If any of you lacks wisdom, if you're in that place right now, you're like, man, God, I don't know how to navigate this place in my life. I don't have any answers, right? If you're in that place of lack, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. The starting point for seeking God's wisdom is very simple. According to James, we simply have to ask for it. If you're in that tough place, if things aren't clear to you, if you don't know how to navigate that next step, James says the starting point for finding wisdom for your life, for that situation, is to ask God for wisdom. To simply ask him. And the reason James encourages us to ask God is because he understands that God actually wants to give you wisdom. That his nature is such that he longs to provide what you lack. That's why he says to ask, why? Because God gives, because it is of his nature to provide for you what you lack ultimately in your life. Not only does God give, James qualifies that God gives generously. Now that word generously, in the original language, it carries the idea of single-mindedness or simplicity. You could translate it just as easily that God gives simply, meaning that God actually gives with integrity and intention what you need to navigate the challenges of life. That's why James says God not only gives generously or simply, he gives without reproach. 
God isn't withholding or desiring to hold wisdom from you. He actually wants to provide for wisdom and what you need in it. And God doesn't look at you when you ask for wisdom like, really, you haven't got it by now? Haven't figured it out? Like, can't you get your act together? No, that's not his nature. God doesn't give you wisdom and then circle back on the back end and be like, hey, remember when I gave you that wisdom? Well, now I need a favor from you. No, he gives with pure intention. God wants to give you what you need to navigate the challenges of life. His heart is to give to his children. My wife, um, she loves to give good gifts to my kids. Right? I've got uh, two biological boys and, and an older adopted daughter who actually has two kids now. So I'm the youngest grandparent that you're going to meet today. <laughs> but my wife, she, she just has a generous heart and she loves to give good things to my kids. She loves good experiences. She loves good food. She loves whatever she can do to bless my kids. She loves it. Her, her natural disposition is how can I say yes before I say no, which is totally the opposite of my disposition. Right, my disposition is like, no, you don't need that. Right, like my kids had a half day of school on Friday and, and we, they come home and my wife has like gotten them these roti buns and this Malaysian tea that she got it to celebrate. I'm like, these kids don't need this. It's just a half day of school. <laughs> but she loves to give them. And because of that, you, you know what my kids love to do? My kids love to ask my wife for things. <laughs> because they know mom's probably gonna say yes. They don't come to me because they know, unfortunately, my curmudgeoniness naturally wants to say no, but they know mom's heart is yes, so they go to her to ask. What James wants you to understand is God's nature is that he wants to give. God wants to say yes before he says no. That's the kind of father that he is. I think James is drawing on Jesus's words in his sermon on the Mount in Matthew seven, where Jesus commands us, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. Do you see God's character? He loves you and he wants to give you with single-hearted intention what you need to live in God's world, God's way. So if you're lacking wisdom in an area of life, James says, ask for it and trust that God wants to provide it for you. And if you have that challenging circumstance, I just wanna ask you this morning, have you spent time asking God? You see, oftentimes we spend more time thinking about it, worrying about it, fretting about it, asking others about it, and never taking time to just ask God in prayer, will you provide the wisdom that I need? Are you trying to navigate that circumstance out of your own gut, your own intuition, trying to figure it out on your own? James says, don't start there. If you desire wisdom, start with God. Because when you request it of him, he will provide. Even this morning, there's just one area of my life that I'm struggling with, that I was at my wits end and I'm just in prayer this morning early going, God, give me your wisdom. 
I don't have what I need inside to navigate this without you. So would you provide. But James says, if you're in that place, there's also a condition to that request. Look at verse six. But let him or her ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You see, the thing James wants you to also note is that as you bring your request to God, that God's wisdom is to be requested in faith. Now, what does James mean here, right? Does, does he mean we, we can never have any doubt? We can, we can never have uncertainty? You know, I think oftentimes this verse gets co-opted when we pray and ask God for things and maybe God says no, or God doesn't give us what we need. And people come back and say, well, you just didn't have enough faith. If you, if you had more faith, then that would have taken place. Is that what James is trying to say? That, that if we need wisdom, we, we somehow have to achieve some level of faith to actually get it? No, I don't think that what's, that's what James is trying to say. See, when James says we're to ask in faith without doubting, there's two different types of doubt. Well, I mean, you could see this easily if you just looked up doubt on dictionary.com, right? You're gonna see two definitions. The first definition of doubt is to be uncertain about something. We all face that. And we all face that in the journey of faith. To be, God, I don't understand. This doesn't make sense to me. I'm uncertain. Like, I, I, I want for you, I wanna follow you, but like, I, I need some help here, right? We, we all have those seasons of doubt. We all have those questions. But the second definition is what I think James is getting at, which is to distrust. There's a difference between being uncertain about something and distrusting something. James here is talking about the reality of, do we trust God when we ask him? James does not demand that a believer, this is what Craig Bloomberg says, James does not demand that a believer never question what God gives them, lest their faith prove null and void. Rather, given the context, he maintains that we should not doubt the character of God as one who gives unflinchingly. To doubt his character can also imply that a person is unwilling to trust God with their life or they do not believe that he is who he claims to be. To ask without doubt, to ask in faith, is to ask with a deep-seated trust. Not that you have all certainty, not that everything makes sense to you, but that you trust that God is who he says he is and that he will provide what you mean. That's why James says the person who is not like that, he says in verse eight, is double-minded. Double-minded. I love John Bunyan and his Pilgrim's Progress has a man who's called Mr. Facing Two Ways. That's the idea here. To ask in doubt is to say, yeah, I want... God's wisdom, but, but I'm not sure God has all the wisdom I need. So I want some of God's wisdom and I want some of my wisdom and I want some of the world's wisdom, right? I want it both ways. That's what James means. Maybe you can think of it this way in dealing with doubt. So how, how many of you in this room are Lions fans, right? A number of you? Great, we'll pray for your soul, right? <laughs> so I'm, I'm a Browns fan. I'm originally from Ohio. So you, you could, I totally empathize, right? <laughs> and how many of you know, when you watch a Lions game, at some point you doubt if the Lions are gonna win? <laughs> I mean, that's just like part of the experience, right? Like at some point you're uncertain. You're like, how are they gonna figure out how to blow this one, <laughs> right? Okay, that's not being certain about something. Now, a couple of years ago, or actually, I'm sorry, last season, 
a good buddy of mine, Caleb, who been a Lions fan for many years, just got so frustrated with the Lions that he decided I'm done with them. I can't, I can't root for this team anymore. And he decided to become a Packers fan. And I know you can moan with me, right? Like, oh, front runner, great, right? But he went out, he got a Packers jersey, he's rooting for them. I'm like, well, what happens if the Lions get good? He's like, well, that's never gonna happen. I'm like, oh, okay, fair point. But you know, <laughs> but what happens? He's like, well, you know, I'll still kind of root for them. I was like, no, 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 no. You cannot change and then decide, oh, actually, but I wanna keep my foot over here. See, that's distrust. I'm gonna change my allegiance. There's a difference between being uncertain and there's a difference between, hey, I'm gonna go over here. And James says, when you do that, now you've become double-minded. Now you're Mr. Two-Face. Now I wanna be a Lions and a Packers fan and whoever's winning, that's what I want. And too often when it comes to our pursuit of wisdom, that's how we want things to be. I want a little bit of God's reality and I want mine. God, I want you to take control of my business. I want you to run it on your principles until I'm not making as much money as this business. And then maybe I'll look to see if I can find some strategies from the world to learn. God, I want you to guide my relationship. I want you to lead it. Oh, don't be unequally yoked. Save yourself for marriage. Well, God, you don't understand my relationship. You don't understand the circumstances I'm in. God, you want to use my money for this? Here it is. Surrender. I surrender all to you. Oh, but it's going to cost me that? Right? If we're not careful, we can ask God with a double mind. Like, I want you to a point, but when that wisdom conflicts with my own interest, when it conflicts with what the world says around me, then I'm not sure if I really want God's wisdom anymore. And James is very clear. If that's you, you can anticipate you will receive no wisdom from the Lord. You will never find the good life because you will constantly be back and forth, this and then this, and you will never learn the way that leads to life. James wants you to know, if you're gonna ask God for wisdom, he will provide. But when you ask, ask with a single-minded pursuit, desiring his wisdom above all things. Let him give you the understanding of what it looks like to live in wisdom in whatever area of your life and follow him above any desire of yourself or any call from the world. That's how you move towards the good life. And as you do that, what you will begin to see and what will happen in your life is that there will begin to take place a genuine change, both in your heart and your actions. You see, God's wisdom, and it's not only requested, it's not only received in faith, but God's wisdom actually results in action. It results in the change of our lives. Skip down with me to verse 19, because James is going to continue his kind of discussion on wisdom. And you might be kind of like, wait, hold on. Why are we skipping verses here? Now, part of this is because you have to understand the nature in which James writes, right? James is Jewish and he's very shaped by Jewish thought. And Jewish thought and Middle Eastern thought is more circular than it is linear, right? You and I, we've been shaped by Western teaching, which means we're linear in our teaching, our education, our thought, which means, right? I start with point A, I unpack that. Then I move to point B, then I move to point C, then I draw my conclusion. That's not how James writes. If you read through the book of James, you're like, he's everywhere. Well, he's much more circular in his thinking, 
right? So how James writes is, I'm gonna start in point A and point A is gonna connect me to point B and then point B is gonna connect me to point C and then that's gonna lead me back to point A and that's gonna unpack a nuance of point A that's gonna lead me into a little bit of point C, B and then point C and then as you navigate this, you realize he's drawing like a full circle on what he wants you to understand. That's why James starts at the beginning. Let's talk about trials. Then he moves. Let's talk about wisdom. Now, next week, let's talk about finances. Then he goes all of a sudden back to let's talk about trials again. And now we're talking about wisdom. And now we're in finances. And you read through the best of the book, rest of the book, you're going to see he moves that way. So that's why we're skipping verses. Because what he unpacks in these few verses, he fleshes out in an even fuller way in 19 through 25. And what James wants you to see in that reality is that God's wisdom ultimately leads to actions, to changes in our life. Listen to this set of verses. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless." Do you hear in those verses, James's focus on action? James is action oriented because he's wisdom literature. He wants you to see that God's wisdom is not just about what you know, it actually influences the way in which you live. James is made up of 108 verses in our English Bibles. The estimates are, are that somewhere between 54 to 60 of those verses contain commands, calls to action. Because James wants you to see that as you receive God's wisdom, it actually then changes the way in which you live. God's wisdom always results in action. And there's two ways in these verses, real quick, that James wants you to see that your actions both display and cultivate your desire for wisdom. The first way James wants you to see, these are great tests to know if you're pursuing wisdom. If you're pursuing wisdom, James says, you'll reject anger and sinfulness. Right? Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. You see, part of the reason I think our world is in such a shortage of wisdom is because we don't even practice these basic principles. I mean, go home today, turn on your cable news, turn on ESPN, turn on your sports, whatever this week. And what are you going to see? Most of your channels, you're going to see two talking heads doing what? Being quick to speak, slow to listen, and quick to anger to yell over each other. We're literally entertained by the opposite of what produces godly wisdom. That's how we are in our world. I mean, this weekend, we're reminding ourselves, right, of the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., and there's a lot of work to be done in our world between the divisions that exist over racial and ethnic lines. And there's a lot of be done, work to be done in the church. I've spent several years trying to pursue my own growth in that area and learning. And what I have seen time and time again, that when it comes to those issues, we are not quick to listen. We're quick to line up on our side. We're quick to hunker down with our statistics. We're ready for battle but we don't actually want to listen. 
And then we wonder why we lack wisdom for how to navigate that, not just in the world, but if we're not careful also in the church. You see, being quick-tempered, being quick to speak, it doesn't produce, what does James say? The righteousness of God. Isn't that what we're after? Isn't that what we desire? So what does he say? Put it away. Put away filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. Do you have a meek heart? Not a weak heart, a meek heart. Do you have a quiet disposition in your soul, ready to receive what God has for you? And what do you receive to help you with wisdom and with meekness? The implanted word. See, God's wisdom comes through his word. It comes from the truth God has revealed to us that teaches us his ways, that points us to his son. To have a heart that is quick to listen is to say, God, what do you have to say for my life? And how can I receive that? Not being quick to argue back, but to see how I can implant it deep into my soul. But then James gives you a caution. Don't just hear the word, but do it. You see, wisdom is not just to listen for truth. It's to seek to live in alignment, to engage it and implement it in our lives. James says, if we're going to learn wisdom, we don't just have to learn it to understand it. We have to learn it to live it. Wisdom in scripture is not about what we know, but about what we do with what we know. I have this normal routine with my kids in the morning. Um, Usually they get up and, and get ready for school and, or not even just that, sometimes it's anywhere we go. And I usually have a moment where I realize like we're really close to leaving and I don't think they're ready to go yet. I don't know if any of you parents can empathize with me, right? So I usually have a moment where I come to my kids and I'm like, hey, we gotta leave in five minutes. I need you to get your shoes on. I need to make sure your backpack's packed. I need to make sure you have your snack for school and I need to make sure you have your coat on so you're ready to walk out the door when we're time to leave, right? And four minutes goes by and I walk in And you know what happens? They don't have their backpack. There's no shoes on, right? They're like off in some corner of the house. And I'm like, guys, didn't didn't I tell you what to do? And they're like, yeah, we heard you, dad. I'm like, no, I don't think you did hear me. If you heard me, you would have done something about it. How many times do we ask God for wisdom in our lives? We say, God, I need this. God draws us through truth. God shows us his way, maybe through good counsel, maybe through his word, maybe from the spirit in our hearts, and then we don't do anything with it. James says, that's not wisdom. That's hearing the word, but that's not doing the word. Wisdom comes through action, not just knowledge. James says, that person is like a person who looks in the mirror and forgets what they, who they are and what they look like. Imagine you're out to eat with some friends at a restaurant and you walk into the bathroom and you're washing your hands and you look up and for a moment you notice you have a huge piece of broccoli stuck in your teeth. What do you do? Hopefully you take it out, right? I mean, nobody just walks out of the bathroom like, ah, I'm good, who cares, right? I mean, unless you wanna be free entertainment for your friends for the rest of the evening. No, When you recognize that reality in your life, you seek to do something about it. James says, for those that come to God, ask for wisdom, but then fail to do anything about it, it's like being, I'm good. I've got this figured out. But that's not what leads to the good life. It's the person that looks into the perfect law of God, 
which is ultimately revealed through Jesus Christ, who knows his word and then seeks to do something. And what does James says? He will be blessed. That's the idea of God's favor. God's favor will be upon that person. You want the good life? You want the life of purpose. You want the life where your heart and life aligns with God's way that he made you and the world to be. Then hear God's word and seek to do it. That's the way of wisdom. That's how we figure out how we were created to be and how to live the way God made us. I'll close with this. Soren Kierkegaard was a famous Danish philosopher. And he wrote a lot of his work in the heyday of the rise of kind of secular thinking among the church in Denmark. And Kierkegaard famously noted as telling the kind of following story. I found this translation from another author, but it's attributed to Kierkegaard. And I think it's a good reminder of what James is trying to drive us at this morning. This is what he writes. A certain flock of geese lived together in a barnyard with high walls around it. Because the corn was good and the barnyard was secure, these geese would never take a risk. One day, a philosopher goose came among them. He was a very good philosopher. And every week they listened quietly and attentively to his learned discourses. My fellow travelers on the way of life, he would say, can you seriously imagine that this barnyard with great high walls around it is all there is to existence? I tell you, there is another and greater world outside, a world of which we are only dimly aware our forefathers knew of this outside world, for, they, for did they not stretch out their wings and fly across the trackless waste of desert and ocean, of green valley and wooded hill? But alas, here we remain in the barnyard, our wings folded and tucked into our sides as we are content to puddle in the mud, never lifting our eyes to the heavens, which should be our home. The geese thought this was very fine lecturing. How poetical, they thought. How profoundly existential. What a flawless summary of the mystery of existence. Often the philosopher spoke of the advantages of flight, calling on the geese to be what they were. After all, they had wings, he pointed out. And what were wings for but to fly with? Often he reflected on the beauty and the wonder of life outside the barnyard and the freedom of the skies. And every week, the geese were uplifted, inspired, moved by the philosopher's message. They hung on his every word. They devoted hours, weeks, months to a thoroughgoing analysis and critical evaluation of the doctrine. They produced learned treatises on ethical and spiritual implications of flight. All this they did, but one thing they never did, they did not fly. For the corn was good and the barnyard was secure. See friends, mature faith, it seeks God's wisdom. And the truth and reality is that Jesus came to reveal God's wisdom, that he showed up on the scene to proclaim the kingdom of God, to teach us that there's a new world coming where we are going to live in God's world, God ways for eternity, and that you and I would have the opportunity to begin to live that way now. And Jesus came not only to teach us that, but he came to demonstrate us that. And then he made that way possible by going to the cross to die for our sins so we could be reconciled back 
into relationship with God so that we could know his wisdom, so that we could understand him to be a father. And he didn't just stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the tomb to declare the kingdom of God is here and it's coming and you can begin to live that way now. And yet, how easy it is, how easy it is for us to know that truth and never seek to fly. Wisdom is knowing the truth of God, knowing there's a better world, knowing there's a better way and seeking to live that out right here, right now. And that's the invitation James has for you today, that you can have wisdom. The starting point for that wisdom is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you have never done that, You can do that right here today. And we would love to help you know what it looks like to put your faith and begin to follow Jesus. And if you have done that, then God's call is to seek wisdom. When you find those challenges in life, when you find those moments which are wit and don't turn inward, friends. Don't be the ducks or the geese content in the barn, right? To fold our wings in. Instead, look to our heavenly father who loves you, who will provide that wisdom. But don't just hear it, live it. And as you do that, you will find the good life. And I pray that would be true for you. Let me pray for us. Father God, I'm just thankful this morning that you're a God who has made your wisdom available to us. God, we confess this morning, we don't deserve that. We know our own sinfulness. We know the way our hearts so easily turn inward to trust ourselves over you. And yet you in your grace as a good father promise to provide. Not only that, you made a way to deal with our sinfulness so that we could know your wisdom, so that we could learn it, so that we could live it. So Lord Jesus, I pray today for all my brothers and sisters gathered here that you would help us to learn to fly to live life understanding your world and living your ways. So Holy Spirit, would you come right now and in each heart, would you encourage us to take whatever step you are calling us towards? Maybe that's a step of putting our faith in Jesus. Maybe that's a step of recalibrating that area of life. Maybe it's a step of just humbly asking God and saying, I can't do this. I need you to give me what I need. Maybe it's a step of repentance to turn from our sin and to embrace what you've called us and how you've called us to live. So Spirit, even as we worship, even as together we ask that you, oh Jesus, would be our vision for life, would you come to each one of us? Make your word personal and call us towards that step you want us to take. We're so grateful for what you've given us, God. Thanks most of all for Jesus who reveals the fullness of your wisdom to us. It's in his mighty name that we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.